morning, everyone. We are, we are continuing our series in the book of First Timothy. And um, what I love about this letter that Paul writes to, to Timothy's protege is Paul not only has allowed Timothy to go to this church in Ephesus to deal with some false teaching. Um, he wants him to go there to deal with that and to structure the church and to lead the church. But what I love about the relationship that the Apostle Paul has with Timothy is Paul cares about his heart. Paul cares about his character. And Paul cares about the church and how the church is represented in their world. What we are going to look at today in chapter 2, I think is so relevant to what we're dealing with today and our culture today. And I know one thing. I know God, his desire for us is to be God-pleasers, to do what pleases him, to do what his will is. And I love what Paul does here is he really brings out in the beginning of chapter two, in the first seven verses, he's going to bring out what's important to God and what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The, the one thing, you know, have you ever thought about when, the, when someone looks at your life and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how would they look at your life and describe who Jesus is by the way you act? I got real quiet in here, right? Have you ever, not by what's on your social media page, not, not what your political slant is, none of that stuff, but really looking at your life and saying, hmm, is this what Jesus is all about? And I think about that all the time because the one thing that I believe God desires for us more than anything else is that we would be God pleasers, that we would do what pleases him. And what Paul's going to lay out for us in chapter two, the beginning of chapter two, is what pleases the Lord. What does a disciple of Jesus truly look like. And so I know, listen, in our world, and, I, and I'm like this too, many times we want to be people pleaser. I don't know if you're a, a people pleaser. Some of you say, I don't care what people think. I got my opinion and that's tough for them, right? But many of us are people pleasers. And I, I, there, there are some signs that you might be a people pleaser. And this is many times this, you know, with this one to please people all the time, it, it can kind of get in our way with listening to the Lord and, and, and wanting to please the Lord. But you might be a people pleaser if you have trouble saying no. How many of you have trouble saying no? Okay, there's one of you, more of you out there. Okay, so some of you have trouble saying no. And, and if you do say no, how many of you actually feel guilty about it? Like you're not, like, oh man, I said no, they're mad at me and I hope they're not mad at me. Or you might be a people pleaser if you're preoccupied with what others might think. Or you tend not to speak uh, what you're truly feeling in order to keep, peace. Or maybe you're sorry for things that you really don't need to be sorry for. You know, those are tend to be people-pleasing things. And how many of you would say, I don't really care what people think of me or what my opinions might, might be? Some of you may be that way. But if we're all honest with ourselves, we, we have to admit that it does bother us when someone isn't happy with us. But who is the one person we should be most concerned with pleasing? It's our wives. So that's the one, just happy wife, happy love. Okay, so no. Yeah, we know. It's, it's, it's pleasing God. So let me ask you a couple questions right off the bat here, just before we jump into, into Timothy here. How, how often do we think, am I pleasing God, or is my life pleasing to God? Or what are the things that actually please God? Or how can I live a life that's pleasing God? To God, And so these are the things that I want us to, to dive into today. What is actually a disciple? And Paul wanted Timothy to focus on discipleship and growing the church and having the church becoming more and more 
like Jesus. So what is a disciple of Jesus? Is it just simply showing up to church once a week or twice a month? Is that what a disciple is? What is really the definition of discipleship? Well, a standard definition of a disciple is someone who adheres to the teaching of another. Basically, um, you're taking up the ways of someone else. Simply put, a follower of Jesus is someone who wants to be like him. And so what we're going to see in chapter 2 here is what a disciple looks like, a a definition of a disciple of Christ, and how does a disciple act, and what does a disciple of Jesus Christ practice. So let's look at this. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. We're going to look at the first seven verses. If you've got your Bibles or on your phone, you can look up at the screens. Let's see what he says, his instruction about worship, and really uh, what a disciple is. So first Paul says here, I urge you. Like, this is important. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. People you like and people you don't like. People who agree with you and people who disagree with you. (laughs) Amen? Okay, just check to see if you guys are there. Um, Pray for all people and ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives, listen to what he says here, marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world just at the right time. And I've been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. Amen to God's word? Boy, there's a lot of stuff in here. Are you ready? Can we buckle our seatbelts this morning? We're going to go for a ride this morning. So I I want us to really dig in to see what Paul's saying here about what a true disciple of Jesus. That is my heart for you as your pastor, is that you would grow in the knowledge and wisdom and your love for Jesus Christ. That you could look at your life and say, how am I growing? Am I maturing? Am I more mature than I was last year and the year before? Am I actually growing in the Lord there was a, a teacher that we've sat underneath the teaching um, and, and done many of, the, many of his teachings, Ray Vanderlyn, who is an expert in Hebrew biblical teaching and culture, and we've done many of his studies as a church. But on one particular study, it was very interesting to, me, interesting to me, was it was called In the Dust of the Rabbi. In the Dust of the Rabbi. There's an ancient Jewish proverb that says, follow a rabbi, drink in his words, and be covered with the dust of his feet. Now, this is interesting. In Jesus' days, the discipleship process was very unique. It was, it was very uh, just meticulous in the way they would become a follower or a disciple of a rabbi. Now, in Jesus' day, a disciple would follow their rabbi. They would choose a rabbi and say, okay, I want to follow rabbi so-and-so. And And what they would do is they would follow him and they would follow them so closely that they would be covered with the dust that was kicked up by their feet. And so what this disciple would do of this rabbi is they would first choose a rabbi and follow them rigorously and they would study and they would study and they would memorize and they would study the Torah. And then only then would the rabbi choose you after all of this 
After all this study, after following them so closely, would the rabbi have the choice to choose you or not choose you? So opposite of Jesus. Jesus' disciples, they're an interesting bunch of people, weren't they? Bunch of ragtag bunch of guys, right? Very different in the way Jesus chose his disciples. He first called his disciples to follow him, and they were not the cream of the crop. They were just normal, hardworking, blue-collar, many of them, guys. And Jesus calls them. This is why I love the words of Jesus recorded for us in Matthew 11. Listen to who he calls. Listen to who he calls. He says, then Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are perfect, all of you who are scholars, all of you who are on varsity and got D1 scholarships. Come, you guys follow me, right? Listen to what he says. It, it sounds like the Statue of Liberty. Give us your broken, your hurting. Give us the, that's the people we want. Give us all of them. Give, give us your hurting. If you didn't know, that's what's on the Statue of Liberty. But anyways, it says, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your soul. In fact, in the early church, what's interesting about this is when they were called Christians, it literally meant little Christ. And to be called a Christian in the early church was actually an insult uh, because many who opposed, that were opposed to Christianity would use this as a derogatory term for those who follow Jesus. Now, wh- why would they use that in a derogatory, uh, derogatory form? Well, the reason is they were called little Christ is for the reason they lived their lives so well and they represented Christ so closely that they were called little Christ. Now, I want to look at three things that Paul expresses about discipleship in these seven verses. And he, it's interesting how he says there's a mark here of a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's this mark of godliness and dignity, which is led by peaceful lives. These are the things that please the Lord. What are we doing in our discipleship process that's leading us to more godliness and dignity and living a life that is peaceful, that's a life of reconciliation, not destruction? a life that wants to bridge the gap between those who are far from God and allow them to come near to him once again through a right relationship through Jesus Christ. That is the thing that Paul is emphasizing. So at the core of discipleship, what we're going to see here in these seven verses is worship, serving, and sharing. So I want to look at these characteristics of a disciple. And what I want us to do is look at these things, not to beat you up and to say you're not doing these things well enough, you've got to keep doing better, but I want us to look at these things as a marker for our lives and say, God, where, I'm, where am I missing you here? Has my life gone off track a little bit? Have I focused on things that really aren't important to you? Has, has my life gotten mundane? Has my life gotten, whoa, that was, woo, all right, okay. So let's look at this. So the first I want to look at is a disciple is a worshiper. And I want to look at what Jesus talks about here as a worshiper and what Paul brings out. There's an interesting story in John chapter 4 where Jesus has an encounter with a woman at the well. And and many of us know the story. And he was traveling with his disciples through uh, the area of Samaria. Now, most uh, Jews would not travel through Samaria for the reason they looked at the Samaritans as partially Jew and partially Gentile. 
And so there's a great prejudice against them. In fact, for a Jew to come in contact with a Samaritan, they could become ceremonially unclean. So they, they did not travel through Samaria. When you were going north in that area, you, the quickest way was to go to, through Samaria, but they would rather go way around Samaria, Samaria than to come in contact with the Samaritan. But Jesus purposely goes through this because there's a woman that's going to be at a well during midday, and Jesus has an encounter with this woman. And this encounter is really interesting. So the disciples are wondering, why are we going through Samaria? Why are we, what are you doing? It, it, let me put it into, so you get how bad this was. It'd be like, if you're going down 104 and you're going east, right? The next town past us is Williamson. It would be like saying, like, hey, I'm from Ontario. Those Williamson people are just weird. We don't like Williamson people. Those Williamites are weird. So we're going to go way around Williamson, not go through 104, which is the fastest way through Williamson to, get, to go east. We're going to go way around it. So the disciples are thinking, why are we doing this? But Jesus sees and knows that there's someone there that needs to hear about the truth of who he is. And so Jesus has this encounter with this woman um, at the well. And it's interesting that he begins to tell her things about her life. And so she goes, you must be a, a prophet because you know these things about my life. And he knew about the sin that was in her life. And so he begins to talk about it. Now, she begins to talk about religion. Now, Jesus easily could have been baited into that and began to get in this long discussion how the Samaritans were wrong and what they did was wrong and blah, 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 and got this whole religious dialogue about all this stuff. But you know what he does? He goes straight for her heart. Because Jesus knows that if he can grab her heart, it's going to change the rest of her life. So Jesus doesn't get baited into this big discussion about, well, you worship on this, we worship on this, what about the, he, you know what he does? He goes right for her heart. And he says the thing that God cares most about is he's calling true worshipers. Jesus tells this woman that God is seeking true worshipers. And through this encounter that she has with Jesus, her life is transformed. In fact, she goes back to her town, town transformed as an evangelist, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, and how he changed her life. God is seeking true worshipers of him. To worship something, you're giving worth to that thing. And so why should we worship Jesus? Well, Paul explains that he is our mediator, that no one can come to the Father except through him. He is worthy of our worship. Jesus has this encounter, and it's written for us in Luke chapter 10, where he's at Mary and Martha's house. And if you remember the story, Martha's busy, you know, just preparing the meal, and she's distracted, and she's worried because she sees her sister Mary, and Mary's at the feet of Jesus, just worshiping him and listening to him. And so we, we tend to get down on Martha and say, okay, she's, you know, she's not doing what she shouldn't do. But I think Jesus is very gentle with her and just says, Mary's chosen the greater thing. You have so many distractions, Martha. You're distracted by all these other things. But she's, she's chosen the better thing. And the better thing was to be at the feet of Jesus at that moment. And so we, Martha's distracted. Mary's is at, Mary is at the feet of Jesus, and she's listening to his, his teachings. Now, in my studies, I never realized this before, but to sit at someone's feet was actually a technical term for wanting to become someone's disciple. So not only was she worshiping, she was actually, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. I want you to see something here. Mary found her proper place, the proper place 
for a disciple is at the feet of Jesus. And that's what he cared about most. Are you a worshiper of God? Now, worship was great this morning. And I love when we worship on Sunday morning, but worship is so much more than just 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. You know, I remember when when I went to school and uh, studying to go into the ministry, we had this one one professor. His name was, we called him Brother Elliot, Professor Elliot. And um, Professor Elliot, he's since passed away, but I remember he would always start the class, whether it was a doctrines class or whatever the class might be, he'd always open up for prayer and he'd always sing the same song. Great is the Lord and great is thy faith. He'd always sing the same song. So we were ready. But sometimes when he prayed, uh, Brother Elliot would get carried away and he would just start worshiping and just start thanking the Lord. And all of a sudden, you know, we would just be into this time of prayer and worshiping Jesus. And I remember one time in one class, he looked at us and he goes, class, listen, you can learn all you can and, and I want you to grow and learn and, and, and prepare yourself for ministry. But he goes, always find yourself at the feet of Jesus. And he was such a dear, sweet soul. And you could just see the love of Christ in him. And you could see how he'd worship. When you, when you would be, you know, with him a couple of times, you know, I, we, I'd have to meet with him in his office for something or whatever. And I'd walk in and he would just, he would just, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. And he'd always end after our time. He wouldn't just say, okay, Barton, I'll see you later. He goes, Barton, can I pray for you? And I said, yeah, sure. And he would lay his hands on me and he would say, God, just bless Barton. You know, be with him, instruct him. And I had so many other professors that were, were like that. One time I went play tennis with another professor and he was in his car and he would just, thank you, Jesus, for this day. I'm thinking how I can beat this guy and he's worshiping Jesus. And I'm like, man, my priorities are not right here. There's, I'm so grateful to think back all those years to look at key men of God that, yeah, they were great professors but there's a couple key professors that were worshipers too. They were worshipers of Jesus and you could see the personal relationship that they had with their Savior. That you could tell that they were at the feet of Jesus. It wasn't just about knowledge and understanding the word of God. All that stuff was important. But you could tell that they were worshipers of Jesus. This is the thing that Jesus is concerned about. This is the thing that Jesus is concerned about with Martha. That Mary chose the greater thing. She chose the right thing. Mary was distracted and anxious. How many times am I just anxious and distracted by by all the peripheral things going on in our world? And you know what Jesus says to us? Will you just come and sit at my feet and worship me? Can you imagine if we woke up in the morning knowing tomorrow morning we've got to go back to the same stuff and junk at our work and our boss or whatever that might be, the same, same stuff's going to face us tomorrow morning. Can you imagine if we just start off that by saying, Jesus, listen, you know about all this stuff, but I just want to worship you. And I want to thank you for who you are, that you're good, that you're faithful, that you're merciful, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from your love, which is, which is in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine if we started that way of just worshiping God? Isn't it amazing how much less distracted and anxious we would be if we found ourselves at the feet of Jesus? That is what Jesus was most concerned with. You see, for Martha, he wanted to make sure that she didn't see serving as a duty. She, he wanted to make sure that the serving must be motivated by devotion, not duty. So that's the thing that God cares about our heart. What's motivated? Is it just duty or, or is it devotion? 
And God cares. I mean, we talk about these personal devotions of you getting along with the Lord, and those things are fine. And we need to have those devotions, that alone time. But it's getting before the Lord and just worshiping Him for who He is and allowing God to speak to our hearts. See, Jesus wanted us to serve Him out of this love and gratitude for what He saved us from. And so He, he wants worshipers. He desires us to be true worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. The second thing I want you to see here that, that we can see that uh, Paul brings out, and I like this, that a disciple is a servant. Notice Paul's words here. He says, we are to pray for those in authority over us, and we're to walk in godliness, and we're to do the things that lead to peace. Only a servant can do that. Only a servant can pray for someone in leadership over them or in our country that we didn't necessarily vote for. I mean, only a servant can do that because that's relinquishing ourselves to the authority of God saying, God, you're ultimately an authority. So when I pray for those, even though I may not agree with them or agree with them politically or agree with what they're doing, ultimately God is an authority. And by praying for them, what I'm saying is, God, you're an authority and I submit to that as your servant. One of the most important gestures that Jesus showed before he went to the cross was washing the disciples' feet. Uh, let, can I tell you why I'm a follower of Jesus? This very verse speaks to me over and over and over again when Jesus washed the disciples' feet and took on the role of a servant. To me, that shows the humility and the heart of our God that he came to serve and not be served, to show us the way to God. It, that is so countercultural. Because in our world today, we're always fighting against that entitlement attitude that I deserve this, that I own this. And Jesus comes in and he says, no, 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 you were bought with the price. You are now mine. Serve me with that humility of heart, and I'm going to show you the way. He gives us the great example by giving his life for us on the cross and choosing it. Now, humility can be thrusted upon you, or you can choose it. Now, isn't it fun when humility is thrusted upon you because of your pride? Don't you love those times where you're like, okay, I was a knucklehead there, and, and God humbles us. But as a servant, what we do is we choose to serve. So here, Jesus, what he does with his disciples before uh, he goes to right before he goes to the cross is that they're waiting for that servant to come to wash their feet because normally there was a servant who took care of feet the the foot servant it was the lowest of the lowest of the slave that was reserved for the lowest of the lowest slave so they're looking around well who's going to wash our feet and none of the disciples jump up to to do that job because that's the worst of the worst of the worst but what does jesus do he takes a towel he wraps it around his waist and he bows and he washes their feet. He chooses that role of a servant and he washes their feet. Guess who one of the disciples is at that time? Judas. And he washes his betrayer's feet, knowing, knowing moments later he is going to be betrayed. Now, if that was me, I'd say, you can wash your own feet. <laughs> Betrayer, Right? But he's, he shows us the way to humility. There, um, when you are ordained in, in our uh, fellowship, 
Um, and I've been in a lot of ordination services here in New York State for those, for those pastors who are ordained for at least two years of full-time ministry. Um, one of the things they're given is a towel. And I love that. Because as a pastor, that's what you're called to do, is to serve. And that's what we're called to do. And that towel is a reminder of what Jesus Christ did for us. I'm reminded of a story of a pastor who was, uh, the toilet was clogged at their church and um, the maintenance person wasn't there or whatever to fix it. And so he goes, well, I'll just wait till later till they'll fix it. And the Lord just spoke to his heart. No, you're going to do it. You're going to plunge the toilet. You know, and of course, well, that's not my job. Yeah, it is. It's exactly your job. So he plunged the toilet and the Lord convicted him so much that he took that plunger and he put it in the corner of his office. So every day he could look at that plunger and know exactly what his job is, right? <laughs> Amen? I mean, that, that's, I, I can't begin to express to you how much I love Jesus. <laughs> because he would be willing to bow and do the most menial job for me because of his love. To draw us to his side to show us it's all about servanthood. And that's what he does for us. And so this is reserved for the lowest of the lowest. So, so no one wanted to do it. So, so Jesus does it for his disciples. And that's what Jesus was, was trying to show and teach his disciples. I, I remember um, when I worked at Wendy's as a, um, as a teenager, we had a, a grease trap behind Wendy's. And you would, I don't know what they do today, but back then, they would take all the old grease and they would pour it into that and it would get full and you'd actually have to clean that thing out. You'd have to put a bucket in it. You'd have to put it in a big metal container and it was messy and when you open that thing up especially if it was in the summertime it'd be hot stinky no one wanted the job so when every month came around you'd look up at the wall going did i get grease trap duty am i on the list you know and when you're on the list you're like oh my gosh i gotta do that stinky stinky job and and you know it was right around the time that i first became a christian (laughs) and i remember the lord speaking to my heart barton you sign up to do it I'm like, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. And the Lord just convicted my heart. You choose to do the most menial job. That's why this verse of Jesus, the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, speaks so much to me because I go, am I willing to do the most menial job that no one else wants to do? And Jesus willingly, willingly did it Listen to Jesus' words to his disciples after he does this, recorded for us in John 13. It says, And I, since I, your Lord and teacher, I'm the one that's in authority. Actually, you should be washing my feet. I, your Lord and teacher, the one who has authority over you, have washed your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. Listen, church, when, when Paul says to walk in holiness and dignity, we're to walk in this heart of submission and servanthood all the time. That, that, we, that we have the privilege, the privilege to choose to serve, especially those who don't deserve it. Are we willing to look at our world 
as messy as it is and as frustrating as it is, I'm with you there. Are we willing to say, Jesus, you've called me into this world to serve them, even if they don't agree with me? That's what servanthood is all about. It's serving. It's choosing. Because Jesus showed us by example of what that meant. That's a disciple. He's a worshiper. They're a servant. And the third thing here that Paul shares is, is a disciple shares the truth of Christ. Paul, Paul shares with Timothy that God gave him the message of Christ to share with the world. And so I, I love Paul's passion to go to those people who are completely opposite of him or the way he was raised. And that's to the Gentiles. And he goes to them. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, your, your primary purpose in life is to live in, and share Christ and to live your life in such a way that you're pointing others to Jesus. That you're pointing others to Jesus. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I, I was, um, our youth pastor had another youth worker uh, kind of was my mentor. And so they, I would meet with them before youth group on Wednesdays and we'd go through the Bible verses that they would give me. And the, my mentor, the youth worker that was working with me, his name was Pete. And Pete was tough. Pete would always ask, did you read your Bible today? Did you, you know, he was, he was more of a boot camp sergeant than, no, he was a great guy. But he would, he'd always tell me, Barden, did you read your Bible? And the one thing he'd always encourage me to do, he goes, Barden, Barden, have you shared with anybody today about, about your belief in Jesus? Have you shared with anybody at school? I'm like, oh, man, Pete, that's tough, man. I, 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 don't, know if I, I, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's radical, right? And what I loved about Pete, he had such a heart for sharing Jesus with other people. And the best example, and one of the earliest examples I remember of that was my twin sister, you know, she'd bring her Bible into homeroom. She was, became a Christian six months before I did. And she'd open up her Bible and she'd read her Bible during homeroom. Of course, that created a lot of conversation, you know, about what she was reading. I remember this one clown in our class. He went over and started reading what she What are you reading today? And there's something about circumcision there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like... I, I would, our, we were in like a chorus room, so it was tiered. So she was down below me and I was behind her and I literally wanted to crawl. This is before I became a Christian. I literally wanted to crawl in the corner and just die. Our homeroom teacher, Mr. Burroughs, was probably thinking, what is going on in this? I'm losing complete control of this homeroom. What is going on here? But she faithfully did that. And it was a witness to me that you can't hide what you believe if Christ has truly transformed your heart. And so for her, she was living. And so for me, it was like such like, wow, you, you really like believe this stuff. If you're willing, like she wasn't boisterous. She wasn't telling everybody they're going to hell in a handbasket. You know, she, she just lived it. Just lived it. And then when kids were struggling or maybe their parents were going through a divorce or something that was happening, they'd go to bar for prayer. And I would see it because she really cared about people. See, we can get distracted by so much stuff in our life that we forget that Jesus actually came for people, ugly, messy, sinful people, which every single one of us are in this room. And we, and we lose sight of that. And Paul's heart is like, I have this truth and I'm excited because I have the privilege 
to give this truth and to share this truth with the Gentiles, with those who so desperately need to hear it. See, I want you to know that the best thing you can do for people is to be loving, understanding. You come with humility. You come with a servant's heart. You come with the heart of Christ in those situations. That you're able to share with them, listen, I'm not perfect. I have all kind of stuff in my life. But we can share what Jesus Christ did for us and how he transformed us and why he makes all the difference in our lives. But see, listen, the only way we can allow Christ to truly transform our heart and not to get sucked into all this other stuff that's going on in our world, if we're not at his feet, if we're not allowing Christ to speak to us, if we're not allowing Christ to humble us, then we're going to look at the world as a project. That's it. We're not going to look at it as people that Jesus actually loves and cares for and died for. We're going to look at it as a project and they need help and the world's going to hell in a handbasket. If that's our attitude, we're missing, we're missing the point of discipleship. The discipleship's about worship, submission, servanthood, and sharing that truth in that love. So I have to ask myself all the time, am I looking for opportunities to share that with other people? Or am I too immersed in my own life? And so what I want you to do is just one of those three things, just ask the Lord, God, yeah, this, this is an area that I've fallen off on or I need to definitely work on. That's good. Ask the Lord to help you in those areas. But let's allow God to allow us to walk in godliness, to be a people that strive for peace and reconciliation. Jesus came to do that very thing, to reconcile man back to a right relationship with God that was broken because of our sin. And Jesus did it through the example of his life by becoming a servant for you and I and giving his life on the cross for you and I by choosing, choosing to give his life for you and I. And by doing that, he pleased the Father. He did the Father's will. Church, let's, let's, let's be in the will of God today. Can't, can't, let's just be in the will of God in the way we live our lives, in the way we treat the world, in the way we look at the world. Let's start with us. Let him just transform our hearts. And so maybe today you're just bitter, you're angry. I mean, I, I hear you. It, it, it's, I've never seen anything like it in my 31 years of ministry over the last five years. Nothing. It's been brutal. And we need Jesus more than ever. And we need the gospel more than ever. And we need to know what our, our purpose is as a church more than ever, that we're not distracted by all this other clamor, that we get back to the Father's business. We get back, people, to serving, loving, and sharing. Amen? Amen. I love you guys. Thanks for allowing me to share my heart. May he just break us today and allow us to hear from his spirit today. We're going we're gonna to sing a song in closing today called Build My Life. I love this song. And my prayer for you is that you would sing it and just make it your prayer that our lives would be built on the firm foundation of Jesus. Amen. Can I pray for you today? Let me pray for you today. 
as we close in song today. Would you bow your hearts with me today? Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the words that we see in your scripture today about walking in dignity. Lord, that we would that we would walk in godliness. That, Lord, we would be worshipers of you, that we would find ourselves at the feet of Christ. That, God, we would be servants, that we would choose that, that we would look for opportunities to serve. And that, Lord, we would be privileged to share your truth, that we would look for opportunities to share your truth, God, that we would do it in love, not condemning shameful, Lord, but we would do it in love wrapped in your truth, God. Let us be an example of that in our world today. Lord, our world's in a mess. And Lord, they need you. And they need us to live like you want us to live in that example that you desire for us to live in this world to see who Jesus truly is. So Lord, help us to come back to you, to come back to your side. Thank you for humbling us in a good way because you love us and you want us to hear from you. So I thank you for your people. I thank you for our church, God. I pray you would continue to bind us together with cords that could not easily be broken through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Bind us together. May we walk in unity, God. May we be willing to forgive. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the way. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Would you stand with me? Let's sing this in closing today. God bless you. Just sing this unto him. Amen.